and welcome to Raven Conversations, the show where we bring you the news and information around the Washington National Guard. I'm Sarah Morris, and on this episode, Joe and I travel across the mountains to the Yakima Training Center, where we talk to uh, two soldiers from the Mobilization and Training Equipment Site, otherwise known as MATES, and the Shadow Tactical Unmanned Aircraft Systems Unit, and uh, talk about what those skill sets are, what capabilities they have to offer others, and how they can improve training. Um, I hope you enjoy. Washington is earthquake country. Are you prepared? Earthquakes can create a series of big waves called tsunamis. Do you know your evacuation routes or how long it takes for you to reach high ground safely? Learn how to protect yourself from a tsunami. Check with your local emergency manager or visit mil.wa.gov tsunami. Before disaster strikes, get two weeks ready. Make a plan. Build a kit. Become involved. Be a preparedness champion. Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's WA National Guard, and look for the blue check mark. Okay, so Joe and I are here at MATES. What does that stand for? Sorry, Major, what's that stand for? That is a Maneuver Area Training Equipment Site. Okay, I should have probably asked that before just now. And then um, let's introduce ourselves. So Sergeant Major, you already spoke. I am Sergeant Major Brian Brashear. I am the Inspection Supervisor here at MATES. All right. I am Sergeant Shauna Butler. I am the Production Control and Parts Supervisor at MATES. So I guess we'll... We'll ask the Sergeant Major since he's been here the longest, according to Chief Thomas. <laughs> How many years have you been here? I have been here now 23 years. 23 years. I think there's only one individual that's been here longer. Hmm. So what is MATES? MATES is the premier maintenance facility in the state of Washington. Uh, we support National Guard equipment here for training out at the firing center. We also do a lot of local support as far as... Uh, uh, units on YTC, and we also support active duty units that come through YTC that need uh, any kind of support from us. So like vehicle maintenance, equipment maintenance? Vehicle maintenance, parts, repair parts, um, MHE support, uh, anything that they don't come with that they need, uh, we can usually provide that. Awesome. And so, real, so in the state of Washington, you got maids. Over on the west side of the state, there's CSMS, but what other facilities across Washington do we have maintenance-wise? We have FMSs throughout the state. What We've does that mean? Field maintenance shop. There we go. So we have a FMS 1 in downtown Seattle. FMS 2 is in Efreda. FMS 3 is Cedro Woolley. FMS 4 is out in Montesano. And FMS 5 is out in Spokane. Awesome. But Mates is the oldest? It's 50, it's 50 years old? I believe so. I think when we did the research. 51 this year. Well, yeah, 51, this one. Correct. 51 this yeah. year. That's right. We came out last year. Yeah, last year. For the 50th. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Awesome. Which was really cool because you had a barbecue, which was amazing, by the way. Whoever made that smoked meat, <laughs> fantastic. But uh, it was really cool to see all the older uh, individuals that worked at Mates that had since retired and the new ones. Yeah, like kind of just the past mm-hmm. 
uh, workers that were here mm-hmm. that came I think out. we had a pretty high turnout of former employees and retirees. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Sergeant Butler, what do you do here in your role? Um, well, right now I'm kind of transitioning into a new role as the parts and production control supervisor. Um, I started in 2008 as a temp tech doing production control and then got experienced and moved up a little bit and now I'm doing the supervisor thing. Um, what is production control? Uh, managing the work order process. Um, it's the people that you see at drill dispatching the vehicles, opening and closing work orders, ordering parts, and all of that stuff. Okay. So it's clerical and logistics. All right. And then is you said that's different from your MD job? No, that's exactly, that's exactly the same. Okay. The side, yeah. Well, that's convenient. Yes. <laughs> and Sergeant Major, what do you do, MD? I am the MD G3 Sergeant Major. It's a little different. A little different, yes. For for here or uh probably for camp murray camp, camp yeah murray? correct joint uh, joint force headquarters oh okay for the joint force headquarters correct. so then you have to drive to camp murray for I drill do. so he's the m day uh sergeant major Kadena. sergeant major Kadena. okay so correct really. how does uh how did you get started at mates i came on as a temp tech in early 96 um was actually told about it by our company motor sergeant at the time um Sergeant First Class J. Katie, who was our motor sergeant down in Bravo, 303rd in Grandview at that time. I was looking for some work. He mentioned temp tech, so I got on as a temp tech in, I believe it was March of 96. And then... Uh, and, and what were you doing? Anything and everything. Okay. Uh, at the time, we had tanks and Bradleys. Uh, the maintainers here at Mates would work on the equipment, service them, but they also needed... Uh, at the time, a lot of track replaced on the vehicles. Okay. So I think I did nothing but track replacement for about five months straight and then put in for a full-time position and got hired in August of 96. Okay. And then what did you do? What was that position? Was it? Uh, service maintenance repair. Okay. Awesome. And you've been here since 2008? Uh, yes. I started out as a temp tech um, when I first came into the guard and got done with basic training. Before I'd had my uh, drill with my unit, um, they contacted me and wanted me to come and meet some people that I work with, well, that I was going to be drilling with, and they happened to work here. And then I got brought on as a temp tech, and I've been here ever since. Cool. For those that don't know what a temp tech is it's a temporary technician so um they have to be in the guard got to be in the guard to work at mates um versus so it's a title 32 technician versus a title five where you don't have to be in the guard to work in those positions um but your service still is tied to your position you have to still be in the guard actively serving to continue to work as a technician um so that's kind of just wanted to throw yeah. it out there so people kind of knew the difference you have the agr force yeah i don't think we ever have talked about that i don't so. think we've talked about that either on the yeah. podcast before um the difference between agrs technicians yeah. the different technicians and the m day force which is the traditional guardsman the one week in a month two weeks a year that here, we all signed up for here though at mates there's a lot of civilian positions are mostly all tech positions. no it's all dual status all dual status okay Correct. And then about how many people are here at Mates? 46. We're 46. currently at 46. Okay. So I guess what do you guys see most through here? Like 
for in for maintenance and stuff like that. Types of equipment? Yeah. We maintain the the striker fleet for first battalion 161 um some of two of the 146 so alpha 898 yeah. engineers yeah. Uh, uh not only the strikers but wheeled wheeled stock also for those units uh everything pretty much east central okay. of the state we've we maintain here um like we also have some of 176 Mm-hmm. Engineers here. Mm-hmm. And the triple sevens. Triple seven gun, howitzer guns, uh, 420th, 792nd chem. Okay. We support their, their wheel stock also. So like even their like Seaburn units and stuff like that? Or Correct. Okay, cool. Yeah, and you guys are both here when the transition happened from uh, track vehicles to wheeled. Um, yes. And both of you kind of smile and shake your heads up and down. Uh, explain that a little bit, how that transition uh, work for you guys is um, it easier easier to work on harder not really much different or it's kind of hard for me to say since i don't work on the, the equipment anymore uh i know the consensus pretty much through the shop is we miss the track vehicles um but that, then again strikers are something new and different it's going to take right. time to get familiar with them uh get the mechanics educated on them get them to school and get them more proficient at them it's just it's going to take time yeah at the same time that we um changed over from tracks to strikers we kind of had like a generational change here too so the older experienced generation was also retiring or medicaling out so we had like this flood of brand new employees that weren't experienced and then this brand new platform that people didn't know how to work on so it's been it was a lot of learning yes mm-hmm. on, on the job learning yes so and what kind of oh sorry go ahead we also had the conversion from the our stamus system of sams to gcss army so it okay. was just like a lot of new all at once awesome. so what goes into um like what kind of training do you have to go through one to become a, a mechanic in the national guard but then two what kind of things do you have to do to maintain some kind of proficiency mm-hmm. or learn here at mates um, to continue to kind of move upward. Most mechanics here are job aligned in the in in regards to what they do on the M day side and what they do here. So if you're a mechanic on the floor, you're a mechanic in the guard. Uh, most most of the mechanics that were here at the time went through what's called the M net or maintenance net. Uh, as the crews went through their net training for the strikers, so did the the maintenance folks. Uh, we also have external schools we can send a, an employee to. Uh, for example, Camp Dodge, Iowa has a striker course, so they can learn the platform, uh, the systems, the subsystems for the vehicle. Um, we can try to get them out there uh, to those courses when they're available. Uh, so if you're like a, like a kid um, and you're interested in like uh, wheel vehicle mechanics and say you're um, going to like a technical school. What are some of the things they could do here? I know we offer, you guys have brought in like different uh, kind of community colleges, high schools, technical schools. What are some of the things they, they could do here if they were interested in a job at mates, like right out, right away getting hired in? From the bottom up, mm-hmm. they could come on as a, uh, a service maintenance repair on the floor. Uh, that would be a good start for them. And we have had multiple uh, tours here at the facility over the past couple of years 
Uh, I know we've had Tri-Tech out of the Tri-Cities come up here just about every year, and they bring close to 100 students each event. That's awesome. And we will show them uh, diesel engine repair out on the floor, show them just about every platform we've got that that we maintain and work on. And not only vehicles out on the, uh, the floor, we'll also show them small arms repair, uh, the welding shop, machine yeah. shop, just about everything we do here uh, to try to spark interest in the, in those kids and get them to join the National Guard and, and eventually put in for a position in one of the facilities. Cool. What about like the production side? Well, typically during those tours, <laughs> my section's called the nerd section, and it's apparently <laughs> not, you know, as engaging, so. Is it a little bit of like a... Like more uh, like technical, like sitting in front of a computer. Yeah, and well, there's a lot of moving pieces to it. Like you know, they have warehouse type work in the parts room and tool area. But as far as you know, production control, it is. It's computer, it's data entry, and it's really, really focused. So, for a high school student, it might not not as flashy. flashy. Yeah, yeah, doesn't compare to a striker. That's cool. How long have you had the like relationship to bring the tech? people the tech schools and students out here i want to say tri tech's been coming out here for the past six seven years i believe yeah mm-hmm. that's awesome it, that those folks in particular we do get uh, rotc to come through here right uh, high school tours from the local community um i would say in the past about 10 12 years we've been doing that awesome and i mean inmates has been here 50 years yeah so there's a lot of history. Right. I think a lot of people in the community know about the guards main maintenance facility on YTC. Um, I mean, the funny joke that Chief Thomas told us was right. about, uh, um, what was it, uh, the gal that was worked here, kind of similar last name. Colleen Brashears. Yeah, similar <laughs> last name, but not exactly the same. She, she ran this facility, yes. <laughs> she had been here since, I believe, 72, 71, 72. And retired in, I want to say, 06, 07. Wow. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there's been a lot of other folks that have had, like, uh, like a grandfather or a father work here, and now they work here. Correct. There's been a couple of those stories as well. So it's kind of nice to see that that family tradition still happens in the guard um, here at Mates. Because I remember one of my first units I came in, I had a father, son, first sergeant, and staff sergeant. And you don't really see that as often anymore because the way units are, are split right. up now. So, A lot of family members in the guard, uh, you're, you're right, you don't see it as often in the same unit. They, they try to put them in, in different units, right. which, which makes sense, and that, that's the right, right way to go. Yeah, hmm. for sure. Um, I don't know. I just have no idea about mates. Except for that they do maintenance. <laughs> Anything you guys want to add? Like We do yeah. a lot more than just yeah. maintenance. Well, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, please. Oh, God. We are uh, really, really involved with our local community. Clearly about uh, the okay. tours. I mean, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, and not just the tours. Like, we go out and we support the things like the, the SELA base race. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. We do the community days. We've done parades in the past. Um, whenever they have big events, especially in SELA, um, they usually tap into us to come and get a static display put up, get people out there. Um, I think Mates is actually really, really well known in the SELA community, not right. so much Yakima, but SELA right. is just right there. So. Right. 
I know the past and, and this year again, too, we're supporting the, the local community of Sela with uh, road guards for trick-or-treating oh, for the cool. kids when they close Very off the cool. streets. Um, we su- support and provide equipment, static displays and people for the YTC Easter egg hunt. Um, what else do we do? Uh, the safety stand down day that they do down or the what is it Sela night out is what oh, they yes. did yeah. and they yeah provided like a contact truck down there mm-hmm. um, just a lot of little like small town community right. events but yeah that's good though because they're just right outside the gate mm-hmm. so that's nice the majority of the folks probably live in Sela or at least close by that work here close by yeah we're we're actually pretty spread out anywhere from the Tri-Cities to Ellensburg. Um, but the majority of them are right here in the Yakima Seela area. Cool. I love it. I've always loved coming out to Mates. It's a great facility. I mean, everybody always, like, complains about coming out to YTC, but I've never had a bad time out here. You know, y- you hear that a lot. You know, n- who would want to live in Yakima? Who would want to go to go to the YTC? Well, all they ever see is YTC out in the right, field. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. They don't see the local areas, what, what the communities have to offer, um, we got the river to our east, the mountains to our west. There's a lot of stuff to do here other than just being out for a two-week AT at, at YTC. Yeah, it's way prettier, too, than people give it credit for. <laughs> and it's a lot quieter out here, and the traffic is nothing. I know. That's the worst is the traffic on the western side. <laughs> I know. I hate my six-minute commute to work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like just just as my coffee, like <laughs> right, it started to cool down. It's like perfect temperature when you get there. That's awesome. Is there anything we didn't talk about? Nothing comes to mind that I that I think are the highlights for the facility. Okay. Um, yeah, we don't want to go into the most crazy things that have been probably brought in here that have broken. But no, I don't think we want to go there. <laughs> There's been some bad ones. <laughs> Has there any ever been anything less like, I don't know. Yeah, I kind of do. Now I kind of do want to know, like, what was the worst? We don't have to say who it was, but what was the worst thing you've seen that's been brought in? Brought in as far as equipment to be repaired? Yeah. There's been a few things that could not be repaired where they, they exceeded the, the expenditure limit right. on repair costs. Um, I know what was a couple years ago. We had a carrier catch fire. Yeah, the 113 down there. Caught hall. fire out in the field. Hmm. Destroyed it. Um, obviously, we're not going to repair that. That'll get right. scrapped, turned in, and Replaced. we got a new one. Yeah. Um, that's the one that, that stands out right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. There have been other vehicles maybe rolled over right. uh, that we couldn't repair, but the, the carrier stands out as the most recent one. Okay. Cool. So we got those signs right there at the front that say slow down. I know. Don't don't go too fast on range roads. Yeah, but they can't help themselves. Mm. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for sitting down with us. You're welcome. We appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Good? Good. All right. All right, today we are with the Tactical Unmanned Aircraft Systems team here in Yakima. Uh, Joe and I traveled across the mountains just to be here with you guys. Uh, So let's go around the room and introduce ourselves. I'm CW3 Barry Kerr. Uh, Specialist Jeffrey Hedrick. And W1 Jacob Gatmeyer. 
and I am here with Sarah. And uh, tell me what you do. Like, just say what you do here at the TUAS. Well, the TUAS system is a brigade asset, so we're basically the brigade commander's uh, eyes, in um, in that we fly the uh, Shadow RQ Seven Bravo. And um, we take um, basically reconnaissance, surveillance, um, targeting, all those kind of missions uh, that support the brigade commander. Okay. Uh, yes, I'm the full-time maintenance person. Okay, so Specialist Hedrick. Did I say that right? Yes. Oh, so amazing. And that never happens. And then uh, uh, Mr. Yes. Uh, Mr. Gatmeyer, you are operations? Yes, so I'm stands in operations, so okay. I deal with the day-to-day -day as far as being able to fly when we're on there, and I make sure that we meet all compliance with NGB and aviation requirements. Awesome. Okay. Joe? So I, I'm pretty familiar with this unit. Um, I commanded this unit for two and a half years. Um, during my time, we had a... Uh, a pretty stellar flight record. We only put one bird on the ground one time pretty hard, <laughs> I think. It uh, wasn't too bad. But uh, for those that don't know what a shadow is, what is the shadow aircraft? So the shadow aircraft is basically it's an ISR asset or intelligence surveillance reconnaissance. It has a 21-foot wingspan. We have a payload underneath, which is basically just a camera that's on wings and can fly around and we have also CRS, which is your comms relay system, where we can bounce radio signals off to help other people, but we're basically just a surveillance asset for the command. Cool. How are TUASs used here in the Guard? Is there like, I mean, I'm, most people know the wartime mission, but what's the, the sort right. of peacetime and domestic mission? Basically, we're still working on that part, um, and, it, and it has to do with airspace and where we're allowed right. to, to fly. Um, if we were um, in, employed by the state for, say, uh, surveillance or reconnaissance of a disaster area, uh, if we're doing DOM op, something like that, um, what we do is basically the same thing for, uh, for like the wartime mission, is right. using the camera. Um, we have a nine-hour flight time, so that really makes us kind of unique in that we can be above, uh, say, a, a forest fire right. or, um, you know, uh, just like an OSO, like the landslide, uh, something where where you need an aerial platform that can stay aloft for a long time and feed that information uh, forward to whether it's a disaster command or emergency response people. So, like, during a, a standard drill... Because cause obviously to go out and set up a an aircraft, um, the launcher, and, and maybe talk about that, and then the actual everything, um, it's not just a one- or two-day drill. So how do drills look when you guys are here? Drills, uh, and I'll let Mr. Gatmeyer cover that since he's, he's the full-time operations guy right now. So drills normally, so we'll do like a super drill. We won't just do the normal Monday through Sunday. So what we'll do is we'll come in on the first day, and it's usually the muta eights or higher, and we'll do set up the very first day and ops checks, make sure everything's working properly, and then the next day we'll start flying the actual aircraft, and we'll fly all the way until the Saturday afternoon, and then on the Saturday afternoon we'll tear down so we can do recovery and all of our other stuff that we need to do Sunday. 
So we'll tear down on Saturday, and then Sunday will just be our normal drill as far as taking care of any paperwork we need, things like that. Okay, and then what's the maintenance piece for this? Uh, maintenance piece, so during that whole time, we'll be doing maintenance, keeping aircraft up to date. We're the ones actually in place, like the launcher where the aircraft is launched from, and the ones who like correspond on the ground to get it up in the air. Okay, what's the maintenance standard, though? Like, Do you have like a certain percentage that has to be up, or yeah, like so a regular like aircraft situation yeah same idea where we try to keep everything fmc as much as possible of right. course things happen but that's why i'm full-time personnel because it's hard because we don't really fly during the winter because flight restrictions right. so during the winter i'm here to try to keep it fmc as much as possible so right. it doesn't look like we just have a downed aircraft for <laughs> six months are they pretty feisty aircraft or are they pretty easy to maintain they're I feel like it's pretty easy with some bugs. Okay. I think that's the way to describe it. Yeah. So there's, I mean, it's a small aircraft, but there's a few little, just, yeah, bugs. Yeah, it's got to be intricate, even though it's pretty small. The whole system is very yeah. uh, electronics heavy. Right. Very computer heavy. Yeah. So there's a lot of, like, especially as Hedrick was saying, there's a, there's a lot of little bugs that sometimes fairly simple, but may take a really long time to troubleshoot or track down. Right. So going out to the runway, all the aircraft are disassembled. So all the maintainers, when we when we hit out there, they have to assemble all the aircraft. They have to get every um, everyone technically inspected. And in the meantime, they're surveying the runway. I mean, it takes a full day just to get ready to fly. Right. So that's why our drills are historically a lot longer. So you, once you get up and you're flying, you have, you know, four or five days of good flying that you can do before you tear down. So then do you guys just drill quarterly or you still do every month? No, it's it's kind of <laughs> weather dependent. Okay. So in the summer months when it's good flying, okay, so we'll like be sure and hit every yeah. month. And then we'll skip months in the winter right. and take those days and put them on the summer months where we can actually get right. more bang for the buck. Awesome. And we also like to go other places. Like this year, we're planning on going down to Arkansas to fly okay. down there because we just can't fly here during the winter. Yeah. We have currency requirements, so we'll try to find somewhere else. Like last year, we went down to JRTC and flew with the Louisiana National Guard guys. So every year, we try to find somewhere different that we can go right. to kind of keep it fresh to keep our currencies. Uh, what does it take to keep the currencies? And then really, what's the, what's the training you have to go through um, to even be a UAS pilot? So for operator and maintainer, it's a four-month course now down at Fort Huachuca. Um, as an operator, you do get FAA ground school qualified. So that's a big thing for a lot of people. And then once you're done, you come back for currency wise, every 60 days, you have to have a simulator, which you have a simulator here. And we have one at JBLM for people that don't want to cross the mountains. And then every 180 days, you have to have a live launch and land, which is easier for us. I'd like to say just because we have so many active duty units that we work right. so well with that if anybody's flying, we've done it all throughout the year. Well, we'll jump in on them or they'll jump in on us just to get a currency, just to push themselves out so they can fly later on. So is there another TUAS unit at JBLM? There is five shadow units okay. at JBLM right okay. now. So, yeah. so yeah, you guys just partner up with them? Yeah, we plug and yeah. play. I go out and help them a lot with okay. instructing and things like that. Right. And then they'll help us out with other things like currency bumps and things like that. Awesome. Well, so how has the, like, do you guys have a high op tempo or request for, like, people to go on mission for deployment or anything? Actually, they, I know that they, right they now exist. the the TUAS stuff, I mean, it has been for the last, like, five years at least, super visible. Right, and and normally we don't have a lot of problem um, getting folks into the, into the unit, into the MOS, 
the problem is is them maintaining their their currency requirements, right. their um, their air crew training program requirements, and most of our folks live over on the west side. So okay. they the hard part is in them understanding that they need to come over to Yakima more often than they do, right. so that so we can maintain a level of, of readiness and proficiency. Now, there are um, missions for us yeah. outside of uh, especially border missions and things like that uh, that NGB puts out to us. Uh, we unfortunately um, aren't really allowed to do those right now. Right. Cool. Um, so what does it take, say you're an 18-year-old kid and you're like, hey, I want to fly a tactical unmanned aerial system. That sounds cool. Or I want to maintain one. Uh, what does it take to, to get into this field? So really have your GT score of 110. We always have openings, especially for the lower enlisted. We always have openings in the unit. So just go into your recruiter, get the right GT score, and head off to school and come back and get ready to fly because we do a lot of a lot of training when we can. So I think that's one of the best things about the unit is we're always flying or always training. It's not right. a lot of downtime. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm 22. That's essentially what I did. I've been here almost three years now. So went to the recruiter and like, hey, I want to work on UIS. I was in robotics all through high school, so it was like the next logical step was to just come here. So I just took the ASVAB and here I am. What uh, what drew you you guys to to keep doing you know UAS or want to do UAS? And then what's some of the coolest things you've done with it? So, I mean, I'm just a total nerd. So all through high school, I was on my high school's robotics team for four years. I, you know, like maintenance team lead for the robotics team. And then I decide, oh, I'm going to join the Army. And then I see unmanned aircraft system mechanic. I'm like, oh, well, that's that's perfect. So. Yeah. <laughs> For myself, is I, I love to learn. I don't like to sit stagnant. And even being full-time, I don't think there's been a single day where I haven't learned something new. I mean, I have 20-something regs I have to read a day. I have every – there's – my plate is full every single day. Even with my M-Day operators, they, there's so much that they have to learn. It's, you can't just come in and do your Monday through Friday and then show up and do your weekend and expect to be proficient. Like You have to push yourself. So that's what really, really the reason that I enjoy it is because it's not just a plug and play, just sit here and do right. whatever. You actually have to continue to learn and continue to push yourself to be good at this MOS. And you're the senior guy now because you you moved over to the brigade so you're the senior guy out there yes so how many flight hours would you say you have have flown uh so just, it, just to get to being like an instructor now oh to be an instructor you have to have 100 aircraft operate aircraft commander hours which is usually when you get around 100 hours that's when you start getting looked at for aircraft commander and that is when you are in charge of everything with that flight you if anything's wrong or anything's kind of up in the air you're the person in charge which there's no rank requirement for it, so anybody can. Um, Sarn Rice, who's here, he just got it, and he's about to go to the instructor operator course. And then you just have to pass the three-week instructor course to become the instructor in the platform. Cool. What is it like flying the TUAS? Honestly, it's really fun for the first few times you do it, yeah. and then after that, it gets kind of boring because you're sitting in a yeah. sitting in a little box, you know, looking at the screen. If you don't deploy, or if you don't do something, if you don't have a real mission to actually be engaged in, it can be boring, but when you keep yourself engaged or if you have a mission like range control, having us look at fences, things like right. that, if it gives you something to do, it's a lot of fun. Right. But if you're just flying to fly, it gets kind of boring after a while. What about maintainers? What do you guys do? Uh, maintainers is a lot different. We 
So we're on the ground, we're the ones helping launch the aircraft. As soon as it's off the launcher and it's away, we're done with that aircraft. We can just move on to the next one. So we can launch an aircraft, go help launch the next aircraft, keep doing maintenance on the ground for the other aircraft not flying, just keeping everything, pretty much having the other aircraft ready to fly, and then also launching aircraft. Yeah. So I I look at the launcher as like a big slingshot. Would that kind of be a fair way of saying it? That, yeah, that's exactly what it's it is. Just pull, a high pressure, high, high pressure slingshot. There's like, there is a little red button too you get to push, which is kind of cool. <laughs> There's a whole red protective like switch you, you have to flip up and, and hit a launch it. Cool. I th- I think the really cool thing about about this MOS is that people get to actually come out and use it. Right. Instead of just once a year at AT putting out the equipment and trying right. to get familiar with it. During during flying season, we use it every single month. Yeah. So you join the MOS, you actually get to, I mean, you can come straight out of the schoolhouse. Mr. Gatmire will start your, you know, advanced on ongoing training. Right. So you're going to keep doing it. The maintainers, we've gotten to the point where the maintainers, you launch an aircraft, like uh, Specialist Hedrick said, they're busy on the next one. Well, that first one comes down and they're ready for it. They grab it, they defuel it, they refuel it, and they're ready to uh, inspect it and launch it again. Right. So the, the whole point of it is, is that fast tempo so that you can keep eyes in the sky. Yeah. It's the whole point of the aircraft. Right. And it's like, it's not where, like you guys have real missions, like even if you're just checking out fences at the range or you're, you're doing a dom ops operation, like you're actually engaged in something instead of just kind of like pretending to fire on your enemies. Exactly. And and in fact, (laughs) what what we try to do, I mean, we try to sell the asset to just everybody that we find out here. If active duty's training, we'll go out to them and, and if we don't know them, we'll introduce ourselves and say, Hey, would you guys like to do some real world missions? You know, we'll be happy to be happy to get an aircraft in the air. What that does is it really trains the crews to understand, okay, hey, I've got to have an aircraft in the air over a certain position, right. doing a certain thing at a certain time. And, you know, that's that's half the battle right there. That's half well, of the job. Well, and that's really like real life experience when you're deployed. Yes. And those units yeah. will have aircraft over them, right. with them. Yeah, so that's good for both parties. Yeah, we're available for any of the guard units right. that are out here training that want to, you know, if their commander wants to right. see how they're doing, Yeah, um, we can capture video. We can give them uh, um, a remote video terminal that they can actually watch the feed from the aircraft so the commander can see what his people are really doing. Can I get that like. video? I could use that video. Yeah. Yeah, we public have, affairs. Yeah, we have. <laughs> yeah, we have lots of video. Um, yeah. Yeah. But no, that's that's the fun part about this system is. Yeah. You know, we we have to like Mr. Gatmire said. You know, just going up and launching and sitting there for the next nine hours does get a little tedious because you're right. monitoring instruments and you know if he's in a flight with you, he's he's putting you through different um, different uh, level tasks. Right. But after a while, it does get boring so right. to have a mission yeah and to incorporate maintenance into it um and and advanced ongoing training i mean that's that's what we're here for just awesome. to train everybody up so that when they hit that peak level of proficiency and they want to become an aircraft commander right. then they can fly the aircraft by themselves right that's awesome and i could definitely see how that would be super useful and we're used as a training tool a lot perfect example for 
a few months ago, we were out flying and there was an active duty infantry unit out there. Okay. Well, their Sergeant Major hurt his ankle and couldn't walk the lanes like he normally did. Right. So what we did is we brought him one of our OSRVTs, which is the one remote video system, and he can watch our feed from it. And we set it up for him because he wasn't mobile. Right. So he got to sit there and watch and record and take pictures of an aerial view of yeah. his squads moving through these objectives. And he was timing them and doing everything. Since he couldn't walk through, he had that. So when they came back, he sat down and said, hey, look, you know, you hit yeah. this bunker. You were three seconds over from this time to this time. You shouldn't have done this. You should have came over there. It just gives a lot of units a unique perspective. Well, yeah, what a great visual aid, too, to really go over the, the ins and outs of their training exercise. Most, most people... Um, and commanders, I mean, present company excluded, but <laughs> most most commanders um, and, and, you know, ground commanders don't know what the system can do for them. Right. Uh, so we try to sell it. I yeah. mean, every time that we're at a range brief or we come across somebody, we try to we try to offer them the, the asset. Right. Just so they can see um, kind of outside the box thinking yeah. about what it can provide. Yeah. I mean what that's that's a great asset that i think yeah you probably wouldn't even think about when you're doing the train up especially if you don't realize that it exists here as as something that you can use so like for example um one of the things i remember being in this unit uh, we were out here it was myself uh, then uh colonel caparici who was the sao at the time uh there was a wildfire happening on uh on ytc and we put the bird what? in the air and we uh, we found the fire. We actually called up the uh, YTC fire department and had them launch the Chinooks out there to go put out the fire. Um, and it showed it showed the capability right. of it in a real world yeah. domestic operation. Um, it's similar to what like the RC twenty six over in Spokane does. The difference with that though is they have longer flight time. They're higher in the air. Yeah. They're they're manned. Where this is a system where you launch it and you just let it go. Yeah. And they, you know, if a bird hits smoke and crashes or something happens to it, you're down. What? couple million dollar bird not a human and that's a bigger deal so in, in fact we haven't even talked about the cost of the bird yet <laughs> oh i mean it's a lot more than i make yeah more than any <laughs> i think all of us combined we don't even come close well we've got four aircraft and they're a touch over a million a piece now yeah so yeah. They've, they've upgraded the camera systems the electronics and yeah. um of course all that costs money so yeah. Nice thing is, is it has a parachute system on the bottom of it. Oh, so the cool. most expensive thing is that camera that's on right. the underbelly. So that parachute is designed. If something happens, it uh, if it unless you manually command it at 500 feet, it'll pop that parachute and it flips it over and it lands on its basically the top right. to protect all those things. Yeah. There's been units that out here, depending on where they landed, they landed and did $200 worth of damage, flipped right. it over, changed out a few things, and they were back up in the air again. Like the maintainers could fix what the problem was and then get it back out? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That was, that's amazing. Yeah, if you if you inadvertently run it out right. of fuel, the engine dies, whatever. Right. It, it automatically knows, hey, the engine's dead. When I get down to 500 feet, right. I'm going to pop the parachute. Yeah, and, and save the and, camera. Yeah. yeah. I know. The cameras that we have are more expensive than me and Joe, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're about half the cost of the aircraft. So yeah. they're they're pretty uh, they're pretty nice cameras. For, for for the size of what the platform is, capability-wise, oh, and, and um, uh, visual acuity-wise, it's a very good system. Yeah, super detailed and... And so yeah. small. It's got excellent zoom. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And it doesn't help that one of our, well, two of our payloads have laser designators. So anything like an Apache with a Hellfire, right. we can actually laser designate for munitions. So that is okay. another very high dollar item on the payload. That's awesome. Cool. I don't, I don't think I have anything else. 
I think that for sure I'm going to shout you guys out some love for people to come use you because I think that, yeah, they don't realize what they're missing by not having you guys follow them on lanes. Yeah. I'm like any of their training. Just even thinking about that from like a commander's perspective of like, oh, I could just watch my guys go through these lanes and then show them later like where they made the mistake. Absolutely. Like, invaluable. Absolutely. It's like a game film from, yeah. a, from a football game. Exactly. Like I mean, going over the game film. Well, I mean, if, if units want to just convoy right and want to practice convoy security right that's a super easy task for us right but one that you know is invaluable to the convoy exactly so for sure well thank you guys so much this has been very informative oh you're welcome thank you yeah